You're listening to Legally Bliss Conversations. This podcast reclaims and rewrites the stories female attorneys have been told about how we should practice law, grow our businesses, treat our clients, treat ourselves, and craft our identities as female attorneys. We'll hear inspiring stories from current and former female attorneys, the ones who question the stories they've been told, the ones who aren't afraid to live boldly and step into their own power. We'll learn from women who define success on their terms. Through lighthearted and curious conversation, we'll unpack the challenges these inspiring female attorneys have already navigated. So join me on this journey. You'll be empowered and ready to rewrite a completely new story about what is possible for you. I'd like to welcome everyone to Legally Bliss Conversations. I am honored to welcome Professor Heidi K. Brown. Let me tell you a little bit about Heidi. Heidi is a law professor, a former litigator in the construction industry, author of four legal writing books, but more importantly, an author of three books about how to thrive and flourish in legal practice. She's written The Introverted Lawyer, Untailing Fear in Lawyering, and her newest book, The Flourishing Lawyer, which just released here in 2022. She is also a novice boxer, a rabid fan of the Irish band YouTube, and an introverted nomad who loves to travel the world solo. Thank you so much again for being here today, Heidi. I am so honored to have you as my guest. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So you have had such a fascinating journey as an attorney, and I've I've read your bio and I've read part of this book. I'm curious to, I'd like to go back just a little, just a couple of years. Why did you go to law school? Well, as I like to tell my students, I did not have any grand philosophical reason to go to law school. In fact, when I was in high school, I told everyone I wanted to go to medical school because I wanted to be the first female orthopedic surgeon to the Washington Redskins football team at the time. I grew up, we had St. Bernard dogs growing up. And every time my dad would take me to the vet along with our dog, I would promptly pass out from the sight of blood. So I realized that I can't be, I can't go to medical school. So right, you're going to knock that one out. Okay. Right. So I went to law it was there was not any driving philosophical reason other than I you know I loved college I loved studying I loved research and writing and I thought that law school was going to be exactly like college which I loved and thrived in I even went to the same university for law school as undergrad but obviously we know law school is nothing like undergrad so it was a rude awakening for me <laughs> that's funny because I was actually just telling someone the other day that I love college as well I was in I was a biology major who ended up going to law school, but I was like, let me just extend this college thing out three more years. Like, how could it be so different? It's very different. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> Extremely. So when you came out of law school, did you go directly into the construction industry as a young lawyer? Yes. And again, I didn't really have any huge role models in lawyering. So I didn't really know the difference between litigation and transactional work. I didn't, I had never heard of construction litigation. Basically my first year summer in law school, I needed a job and I needed a paying job and my grades were not that great. I struggled my first year of school. So, but I was kind of gritty. So I sent out about a hundred resumes and I got an amazing summer associate position with a firm that just happened to specialize in construction law. 
And it was a boutique firm, medium-sized, um, paid great, amazing training. So I spent both my summers there in law school. I was 21 when I went to law school, so I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but loved both my summers at the firm. And then I went there straight out of law school after I took the bar exam. And um, they, they just threw us right into the, the ring, so to speak, from day one. And I, I really liked the research and writing aspect my job there, but as I'm sure we'll get to, I, I, I struggled and grappled with the performance aspects. It was really intense. Okay. So let's talk about that. They sounds like they probably put you into some litigation work and as a fellow introvert, um, I I'm like sweating thinking about it. <laughs> I too. I'm having flashbacks already. Yeah, in law school, I really didn't understand introversion and extroversion. I didn't know that I also had extreme shyness and social anxiety, which is totally different from introversion. And I got great feedback in my summer jobs about my writing. So I thought, okay, I'll just kind of use that as my voice. But the firm, I mean, our cases were high stakes, millions and millions of dollars at stake. It was all, I like to joke, it's all angry men fighting about money back then. (laughs) All men. And they really threw us into each case having important roles. We did not hide in the background. We had to take depositions, go to court, travel all over the place. It was exciting, but terrifying at the same time. Okay. So I'd love to know kind of how at that point in your career as a young lawyer, and when you didn't even really have the word introverted for it at the time, um, how did you navigate that? It was tough. I, I didn't navigate it very well. I, I, I pretended I, you know, I had great mentors and, but I tried to kind of fake it till I make it. I mean, the advice we always got back then was just never let them see you sweat, you know, fake it till you make it, just do it. Like we could put on a pair of Nikes and just like bungee jump into the courtroom. Like we had it all going on. And I tried all that. <laughs> I, I tried. It's funny. Back then, this was, you know, oh, almost three decades ago when I started, I, the show Ally McBeal was really popular then. So we would strut into the, the law firm with our cute Ally McBeal suits on and go into depositions and go in the courtroom acting like we were so brave. But, and my friends and colleagues at the firm were strong and confident and brave. And I was scared to death all the time. And I thought there was something wrong with me. I, and I thought I just wasn't tough enough or mean enough or, or assertive enough. And I needed to, to mirror the behavior of everyone else around me who, who felt comfortable in that persona. Whereas if I could go back now and do it all over again, knowing what I know now and having done all this work on myself and like taking boxing lessons and doing all these things to understand the physicality of my anxiety and fear, I wish I could do it all over again because I, I could have managed that much better and let the substantive and intellectual power that I had that I didn't even acknowledge enough, um, let that really shine. But I I didn't do that. I basically just faked it and it was terrible. (laughs) Okay. So you faked it. It was terrible. The, The good news is you've learned a lot, right? And you are able to share a lot of your journey now through the books that you've written. Um, I'm curious, when did you sort of step into your own power. I'm looking at something that you'd written. You said when I was young, I asked, what do you want the audience to know about you? And you said, when I was a young female lawyer attorney, I spent way too much time trying to fit into someone else's mold of what they wanted me to be 
my firm, my, my parents, my law firm bosses, men I was in relationships with, like, I'm getting all of this. Okay. Yes. Like <laughs> you're speaking my language and it took me a long time to own my own power. And so, yeah. When did you start owning your own power? Well, sadly, I did all that for 15 years. I tried all the stuff that I just mentioned for 15 years. 15 years into my career, I started teaching legal writing. I I was working on a huge power plant litigation out in California, and I I had moved out there for the case, and I had an opportunity to start teaching. And as I walked into the law school classroom as a professor for the first time, again, I was scared, even though I had binders and notes and class preparation and class plans. PowerPoints, all this stuff. You were very prepared, I'm sure. (laughs) As I was for all my litigation work, I mean, every deposition, every trial, et cetera. But when I walked into the classroom, where I had my giant epiphany about all this was over that first year of teaching, I noticed in teaching legal writing that my brightest legal writing students, my most deep, my deepest thinkers, most thoughtful problem solvers, collaborative team players were my quiet students. And the ones that didn't have their hands in the air during class, in fact, they would confide in me like I had to some people that they were nervous about being cold called in a law classroom or taking their first mock, doing their first mock negotiation or going on interviews. So what I realized that year was that we have got to start talking about this in the legal profession, but I needed to figure out myself first because I can't know there's a problem, right? Right. You know, there's a problem, you know, the way we've been either glossing over the problem or telling people how to fix the problem is not working and there has to be a different way. So I knew I needed to figure out myself and stop the whole faking it thing. And so that's when I did a deep dive into research, scientific research on what is introversion? What's the difference between introversion and extroversion? What are the gifts that all personalities bring to the legal profession. Let's debunk this myth or this stereotype that we all have to be loud and strong and tough all the time. And then also I had to really dive into a different layer of the shyness and social anxiety. I I had, I forgot, I left this part out. I had this really robust blushing response. So in law school, every deposition, every courtroom appearance, every time I got nervous, my face would turn bright red. And and that was just a whole other layer of, of anxiety that, cause people could see it. And, and I had to get a grip on that and understand why that was happening and, and work through the physicality of, I like to say like the physicality of fitness to practice law. Yeah. 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 The manifesting of it. And one of your books, um, I had it sitting here, the introverted lawyer, I think where you actually talk, you talk about like the physical kind of presentation of, of this, right. You talk about blushing and sweating and I've never been a blusher, but I've, I've been like, I get a sweater and like, I'm a sweater in high pressure situations. And I never really even realized that's kind of what that was. Yeah. When I was researching the introverted lawyer book, again, I read a ton of books by true experts and I, I came across this amazing book by this woman, Erica Hilliard, who wrote a book about shyness. And for the first time in my life, I read something helpful about blushing. And and Erica Hilliard wrote, and I kind of laughed out loud when I read this paragraph in her book the first time, she says, a blush is life coursing through you. And I laughed because I thought, oh, okay. I'm blushing. It means I'm alive. Yay, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to change that mindset, right? Yeah. 
and and it but it did from that day forward I kind of wrote I'm I like to write writing is sort of my thing and and so I wrote that down I quoted her and every time I blushed after after reading that I thought oh I'm alive yay me and then the blush kind of went away it's still I can't control the blush it happens it happens when I go on dates it happens when I stand up and present it happens in random moments like on airplanes <laughs> I don't know but now I say, oh, okay, I'm alive. Yay, me. And then I don't dwell on it. It goes away in five minutes instead of the 45 minutes it used to linger and people would point it out and it just got, got worse and worse. So for me, that's how I handle the blushing. And then the physicality stuff, I, in writing The Introverted Lawyer, The Fear Book, and the most recent book on flourishing, I go really much more deeply into how we can get to know our bodies and how our bodies can fuel our brains much more than just kind of throwing ourselves into these scenarios without much thought. Okay. So let's talk about your book, The Flourishing Lawyer. And so you, you wrote the first two books, The Introverted Lawyer and Untailing, Untailing Fear in Lawyering. And both of these books to me are, like, are more about like surviving. The Flourishing Lawyer is like the third. Like <laughs> this is literally flourishing in the practice of law. And the reason I want to bring this up right now is I noticed something super interesting that you did. You talk about physicality. It is it's like it run. It's a theme that's running through this book. But as I was digging into like the very beginning of it, the table of contents to see how you had it organized, and you talk about the ten pillars, the ten pillars of dimension. The first one that you talk about is physical dimension, and I was like, okay, so she's into boxing. She's a runner. Physicality, like this, is very important to you. Did you, I, I would love to know why you picked the physical dimension as the first one to talk about in this book, The Flourishing Lawyer. I'm so glad you asked that. So first of all, thank you for framing the three books like that. I hadn't even thought about the fact that the first two were surviving and this new one is thriving. And that that is so true. And I've never thought about it that way. So thank you, first of all. And, and second, the physicality, to me drives everything else. And I didn't realize that until I started writing the latest book. I never considered myself an athlete. I was, I was really nerdy in high school. I was not coordinated. All the cool girls in my high school played field hockey and lacrosse and basketball. And I tried out for volleyball and I, I played volleyball, but I was not good at it. Um, it's only in my really kind of late adulthood that I finally have started giving myself regard. I like the word regard regard as like an athlete. And so I've been trying to apply this to lawyering and, and empower each of us to think of ourselves like scholar athletes or scholar performers. I was always kind of envious of the students in college who were scholar athletes because they were great, you know, in class, but also on the field. We can do the same thing. So with, with the new book, I really wanted to start with out of the 10 dimensions that I delve into for well-being, because there are, I think there are at least 10, the first one I wanted to do to set the foundation for the whole book is our physical self and, and empower each of us to think of ourselves as scholar athletes, or if the athlete model doesn't work for some people, the scholar performer, like think of your favorite singer, dancer, stage performer, et cetera. And they don't just focus on the one skill that brings them glory on the field or on the stage, right? They have coaches and trainers that help them build holistic health around 
around that skill. And that's to me where the physical dimension comes in. Our physical bodies can help us so much with our, our mind, our, the way our brain functions, cognition, but also our emotions. And, and even though sometimes law professors and lawyers try to beat emotion out of lawyering, it's all emotion, it's all human interaction. And so in the book, I go into some, some athletic concepts like prehabilitation. So instead of addressing something that went wrong after the fact, like we do with rehabilitation, rehabbing injury, for instance, prehabilitation, we get ahead of it. We know where we're gonna experience stress. So let's build muscle around vulnerable joints to use that analogy. So I go into this concept of prehab where we can treat ourselves like athletes or performers and plan ahead. And then what I've really enjoyed researching and discovering are these different zones. And, and what I'm kind of diving into lately is this thing called the individual zone of optimal functioning, ISOF. It's a sports psychology, yeah, it's a sports psychology term invented by this Russian sports psychologist 40 years ago, but it can apply to us. If, if we treat ourselves like athletes or performers and start to pay attention to the emotions, positive and negative that affect our bodies, and our environmental surroundings where we do our best work, our, our middle of the road work, and then our like mediocre work, we can learn how to toggle into that zone of optimal performance and do, do not only our best work, but enjoy it. Enjoy it physically because it feels good. We're not sweating and blushing and in a bad way. Um, I mean, some, some heightened physical manifestations are good. Like we can feel that sense of excitement or adrenaline that in a good way but we can learn how to toggle into that eyes off and stay there and not get bounced out of it by either an antagonistic person or environmental circumstances. As an introvert, I'm really sensitive to like noise and crowds and all that, but we can learn and train ourselves how to stay in the moment, do really well. And then when it's done, be proud that we rode the rise and fall of those, those um, stress symptoms and we stayed in the zone. So that's where, where the book goes into the physicality part. Yeah. And it's cool because you, you set the stage with the book by starting with that particular dimension. And I thought that was really interesting, particularly because you, like I said, because you're into boxing and I, I'm wondering, you're talking about this. I'm like, huh, is there another book like a down the road where you maybe dig even more into the physicality, right? Like, I don't know. I, I know that there's a lot more like, we tend to think physicality is I'm a lawyer who happens to also be a runner, but you're talking also about like, where do you physically do your work? Where are you, are you having physical manifestations of your stress levels? Right. So there's a lot more to it. There is. And I would so love to write that next book because you're right. We need to dig into, it's not just oh yes, I'm a lawyer and I'm an athlete. Because a lot of people don't want to be athletes. They don't are interested in running or boxing or, or spinning or any of that. And that's fine. But, the, but what I'm talking about is, is slightly different. It's more just getting to know how our physical frames, there, there's some great concepts, scientific concepts called proprioception. Like how do we, how do we pay attention to our bodies moving through space. Like if you wake up in the middle of the night and you walk to your refrigerator to get a you know, cold glass of water or something, but you don't turn the lights on, you know where your body is in space. That's called proprioception. 
we can get better at that. That's not athletic. That's not being playing sports. That's just navigating our physical frame through physical space. And then I'm reading this amazing book right now called The Extended Mind. And, and in the book, the author talks about how our environment and our physical space, what, what you just pointed out, you know, where do we do our work? What's around us? What, is, what does it sound like? What's the temperature? What's the lighting? All that is so cool because if, if we get to know that and, and make subtle adjustments, we can understand how we can do amazing work. And then how, if, if we're not having a great day, you know, why are we not in that state of flow, that, that cool state of flow, which I could also talk about for hours, what's bouncing us out of that and how, what are things within our control that we can put ourselves back in that zone so not, not only, again, we're performing well, but we're actually enjoying it. That's what my goal is to help people and myself kind of enjoy this because otherwise it's not worth it. Right. <laughs> this is live, right? Most of us have to, I feel like, do a certain task, perform a certain service to, you know, be able to make money, to earn an income. So we're going to have to do this. So why not figure out ways that we can do it optimally? I so agree. I have to ask, when I'm reading this book, I can tell that you're, a, you're like a lifelong learner. And one thing that's really cool about this book is you, you straight up say like, I don't know exactly where this book is going when you first start this book. And I'm like, okay, she's learning as she's going, as she's writing this book. Is that accurate that you learn as much as you teach in your books? And I'm curious, like, where else do you see yourself, if that's true, as both student and teacher? I love these questions so much because even as you said that with the book, it gave me goosebumps because I remember I had a plan and then the pandemic hit and I literally threw my plan in the trash and I started over. And at the time I was, I was reading this book by an author named John Rady and his co-author Richard Manning. And in his book, they said, there's no reason to write a book unless it changes the author's life. And I thought, wow, okay, that's why I'm writing this book. That's, that's why this, I'm gonna ditch the plan I had and I'm gonna, for the first time in my life as a writer, because I'm a very organized writer, I usually have a plan. Every time I wrote a brief, I had a plan. That thing did not write itself. I told it what to do. And, and this book told me what it wanted to be. And I've never written a book like that. And I'm happy. It, it was, you know, writing a book is very, very arduous <laughs> and it takes a lot out of a person, but this one, it, it led me along the way. And, and each time I trusted it, I trusted the process and I'm so glad I did. Cause it, it's, I think it turned out to be better than my original plan because it taught me so much. And, and just like your question about what my next book is going to be, I know what I'm excited to learn about next. I love that. Yeah. And the, the love of learning thing is interesting. Um, in the book, I also talk about character and fitness to practice law and kind of looking at that differently. What does it really mean? Yeah. What does it really mean? And how can we cultivate character? And one of the the other resources I, I came across in researching the book was the, the VIA Institute on Character, the Values in Action, the VIA, V-I-A. Yeah. And they have this assessment where you can, it's free and it's scientifically validated and you can t answer this 96 question test and they'll give you a report of your top five signature strengths out of 24. 
And to your question, guess what one of my top signature strengths is? Love of learning. Love of learning. Yeah. And yeah. so I try to model that with my students too, intellectual humility. Like we don't have all the answers. And if oh. we did, it'd be boring. <laughs> so right? Trying to figure it out. It's part of the fun. Let's be curious. Yes. Yeah. You know, when I have... I have a little smiley face and written in green right here where you, you have that quote, there's no reason to write a book unless the process of doing so changes the author's life. And when I, the reason I put the smiley face there is because I felt like you were holding my hand, like you were reaching out to me as almost like an older sister and saying, we got this, let's take a look at this together. So I thought that was a really, instead of like, I'm going to teach you the ways. Oh, yes. <laughs> we won, right. It's like, we're going to go on this journey together. So let's go. I thought that, and, and you say that I'm ready for what's next. Are you let's do this together. I, I thought that was cool. And the book, I wrote this down. I said, this is no ordinary book. It's really a deep exercise in self-discovery to be a better lawyer and a human. And it starts with identifying character strengths. Um, which is kind of if, what you were talking about with the via. And I've not done that. I'm really, I might go do that right after I talk with you today. I'm so curious about it. Um, it starts with identifying character strengths and then moves on to optimizing um, your 10 different dimensions. And when I, when I think about this, I'm like, this book's not just for lawyers. It's really, it's really not. it could, you could put any, like, I mean, I think that we do have a lot of our own kind of special issues <laughs> as a career because we get paid to take on other people's problems, right? But that's kind of what a lot of careers are, right? Like a CPA or if you go to, if you go buy something, you know, or if you're, you're going to go hire a seamstress, you're hiring that person to take on the problem of adjusting the seams in your clothes right so like our career is special but at the same time everyone there's so many different careers that could use the concepts that you teach in this book I completely agree I mean I, I chose the lens of character and fitness just because we're familiar with those terms as lawyers but the character strengths and multi-dimensional fitness applies to every single person and you're absolutely right it's it doesn't, this is in no way limited to law or lawyering. I also want this book to be approachable and, and um, accessible to any, any person touched by the legal profession because we, we talk about law students and lawyers all the time, but what about the clients and the paralegals and the receptionists and the couriers and the court reporters? I, I spoke to this amazing group of court reporters last year and they're touched by all the stuff that we go through as lawyers, but a lot of times we forget the stress that they're under and the, the kind of not so pleasant personalities they have to deal with all the time. <laughs> so we're all in this together, but you're right. It's not limited to the legal profession whatsoever. Let's take a quick pause for a message from my sponsor, Prominent Practice. Are you thinking about a career transition from big law or partnership to a solo practice, selling your practice, or maybe you're launching a project unrelated to law? Whatever the reason for your transition, you'll need support along the way. 
Enter Prominent Practice, an executive consulting and marketing firm specializing in branding, positioning, and reputation management for transitioning attorneys. Founded by a female entrepreneur who spent a decade building smart digital platforms for thought leaders before pivoting to focus on high-end service providers who were preparing for successions, mergers, and acquisition events in their businesses. If you're thinking about making a big business move, don't risk losing the ability to leverage the reputation you've spent your career building. Let Prominent Practice be your guide. Visit prominentpractice.com slash blist for an exclusive introduction. So you started this book in 2000 at the pandemic, when the pandemic started, you said you kind of threw a lot of things out the window um, at that time and kind of scrubbed off the whiteboard and restarted. Um, it was published this year, 2022, two years. I'm curious as to how you change as a person over the last two years and how the book, how this book actually changed your life. Yeah, I started the book when the pandemic hit. I start, so usually my process is I spend about a year researching. I get an idea and then I, I start putting post-its. I live in Manhattan, so I have windows and I put, I mean, we all have windows, but <laughs> I, in Manhattan, I put uh, post-it notes on my window. And then in the morning when I'm sipping my coffee, I stare at the notes and I move things around. And, and usually when I have like 12 to 14 concepts on my window, I have a book. I, I know I have a book. And then I become obsessed with the book. So in 2020, at the same time I was teaching and we're all trying to survive the pandemic, I got accepted to this program at University of Pennsylvania and it's a master's degree in applied positive psychology. It's like a really cool program. And they shifted it online for the first time in the history of the program. And I, I did that entire master's program while I was researching the book and while I was doing my regular job. So I basically didn't sleep for the first year of the pandemic. That's where I started really understanding all these concepts that I write about in the book. And then in the second year, I asked my dean for a sabbatical because I was really not doing that great at the end of the first year of the pandemic. I was having a rough time as many people were. So this whole past year, I've been traveling. I've been doing all the things that you mentioned in my bio. I've been taking boxing lessons. I haven't gone to any U2 concerts because there haven't been any, but <laughs> I've traveling all over the place because that's where I flourish. That's where I thrive. And I've been writing the book. And I think what I, how I changed was I started kind of practicing what I preach a little bit more and giving myself regard as a, as an athlete, as a scholar athlete, taking myself seriously as a, a boxer we, in, in terms of other professions, you know, all this stuff applying to every profession, my boxing trainer, I joke with him that every I just had a session this morning, every 90 minute session with him in the heat outside doubles as a philosophy lesson. I mean, he, he, he's capable of understanding when I'm not getting something and he'll switch it up and use an analogy I can understand, which is usually writing for me. And he's never been trained in writing, but he's able to do that for me. So I think as I've, I've changed through writing this book where I'm, I'm not going to put up with things that threw me out of my eyes off before I'm, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to get better at establishing boundaries, which I know you've written about. I take myself seriously. I prioritize my physical health and 
I'm excited to step back into the law classroom in two and a half, three weeks and apply all of this knowledge that I gained in writing this book. I think also throwing my plan, my original writing plan out the window, I'm, I'm learning to trust myself more and that I don't always need to have a plan. And travel really helps with that. And in travel, you, you can make a plan, but half the time your plan's not gonna work. So <laughs> uh, I really adopted that more nomad free spirit vibe that as a really uptight uh, type A person, I did not used to be. And I like myself a lot better now. I love that. So you really have flourished as not just a lawyer, but as a human over the last couple of years. I'm curious, how do you, okay, there, this book, like I said, this is, this is not like, I'm going to sit down and read this over the weekend and I'm going to come off, come out Monday morning and feel happy and motivated. Like this is a serious workbook that will probably take people months, really possibly to go through it. Do you, like, how would you suggest someone approach this book? Yeah, the, the way the book is set up, you're absolutely right. It's not a quick fix. It's not flip a light switch and you'll be fine kind of thing. It's serious work. And, and yeah. if, we wanna, if we want to flourish, we have to do the work. Part of what I learned in my psychology courses was, was that well-being is not just feeling good. It's not, they call it hedonic well-being. It's not just smiling and being happy and real flourishing, real well-being is functioning well. And they, they use the Greek term eudaimonia and the EU is the Greek for good. Eudaimonia. I had no idea what that word was. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it's a really cool word. Yeah, and, yeah. and, and so I think I've learned that about myself too, that, that if I'm having a bad day or I'm stressed or I'm, I'm, I'm feel like I'm going backwards a little bit, I can't get mad at myself because we're not supposed to be happy all the time and, and stress is normal. It's the key is realizing that now I have a system in place where I can function well. And, and so what I, what I want to encourage people about the, the, the book or any sort of well-being process you're going to commit to, it's about setting up systems and routines and rituals like athletes and like performers do and like artists do so you can function well when you do hit the obstacles that we're going to encounter. So it takes time because also what works for me is not necessarily going to work for you or your friend or the person down the street. We all have to kind of try things and really get, get to know ourselves. I, I quote Socrates because his mantra was know thyself. I love that. And, and this takes time. You can't do it in a weekend. It, it took me it took me two years to write the book. Right, right. <laughs> it's not going to take people two years, but I, I would say, yes, if you want to practice and, and experiment and get curious and get creative and set up routines and rituals, there's a lot of information in the book about how athletes set up routines, how performers set up routines before they take the stage. Twyla Tharp, the famous choreographer, I quote her a bit in the book about routine and ritual. She says, it's a reminder that we did it before, it was good, we can do it again. And I do that, I tell myself that every time I'm about to do a presentation or even coming on today with you, I remind myself, okay, I've done this before, it was good, I'm gonna do it again. Yeah. <laughs> setting up these routines, it takes time to figure out what's gonna work for each individual, that's the eyes off. The, the I stands for individual, not one size fits all. <laughs> right, right. 
but I encourage people to just take the time. You can do 10 minutes a week if you want, half an hour a week or that kind of commitment. And there's some suggestions in the book on how to time everything so you don't feel overwhelmed and don't feel, there's a, actually a chart and a wheel on, on one of the pages that guides people to decide what they wanna start with, how much time they wanna commit, and, and you can really plot it out so you can get through all the 10 dimensions in a realistic amount of time, not definitely not in a weekend. <laughs> and you don't have to start with physicality, which is no, I, like, oh, you could start over here with their social dimension if you, if you exactly. want. Exactly. And I'd say that in the book that while I, I like to start with the physical for myself and while a lot of the principles in the chapters, chapter five on the physicality set up a lot of discussion in the rest of the book, I intentionally repeat concepts in the later chapters, the later dimensions in case people don't want to start with physical. They want to start with social or emotional or spiritual or cultural. You can start in any of the dimensions and, and then go back and that's what the charts are for to help people realize where they've they've already taken care of a dimension they want to start with a different one so you can do it in any single order and any particular order you want okay i'm ready i am so ready so i thought it was really cool because you did talk a little bit about what what your well-being system is and you said you've crafted this this well-being system that works for me and it's kind of going along with what you're saying like what your well-being system might be great for you, but it might not necessarily be great for someone else. And you mentioned Julia Cameron's morning pages and she wrote the artist's way, right? Yes. Um, boxing lessons or running, um, writing your books, solo travel, and I'm sure hitting a U2 concert, it would be part of your cultural, <laughs> cultural dimension. So like, these are all very, very um, they're very personal. They're very, they're very individual. They are. And it took me a while to figure out what works for me. Yeah. I, the morning pages are non-negotiable as Julia Cameron recommends, make them non-negotiable. takes me 15 minutes. I do them every day. In fact, my best friend Clay knows that when, if something ever happens to me, his one job is to bust into my apartment and get rid of all my morning pages. <laughs> Burn the morning pages, everyone. So everything goes into it. And, and yeah, what Julie yeah. Cameron recommends is if you have nothing to say, you just write, I have nothing to say, I have nothing to say, boom. And then something appears on the page. It's just an amazing way to start a day. The, the exercise is also non-negotiable for me. My brain can go down rabbit holes very quickly and I can stop that by going for a run or I make sure that I take a boxing lesson. Right now we're doing twice a week, but when I start teaching, it might have to go to once a week, but we'll see. And then right before I came on with you today, I blasted a U2 song really loud in my apartment. I'm sure my neighbors hate me, but it's part of my routine. It, it gets me in the mo in the mindset and makes me happy. And, and yeah, so that's, that's my, my thing. I have two final questions. If you have just a couple of minutes, one is when is the next U2, U2 concert or cover band concert for you? And what is next in general for you in terms of just your, I'm kind of curious is like your growth as an author. Oh, I'm so excited about both of these questions. So you two just announced that they're going to tour in Europe next summer and they're doing a residency in Vegas. So okay. I, I, no have, I have met some amazing yeah. fans from all over the world. So of course That's we're cool. all 
freaking out and trying yeah. to make plans for next summer. So that is definitely happening. That's exciting. I will be probably, you know, pressing against the stage rail as close as I can get and jumping up and down. That's happening. Um, and then for me next in writing, I have really not told anybody this yet, except my close circle of friends, but I'm writing a travel memoir and I'm, I love reading travel memoirs. I, I really kind of lost my ability to read fiction right now for some reason. And I love reading real stories by real people, not famous people, just regular people like, like us and travel is travel memoirs are just a genre that I love, but there aren't that many books, honestly. And I've been wanting to write a memoir for a long time because I've been through a really lot of difficult relationship stuff and, and I've had some interesting family dynamics around religion and, and things like that. And I feel like it's time. I've, I've had enough distance from a lot of the, the trauma in, in my life. And so I'm writing a book right now that is about my travel experiences and sort of working through my relationship and, and journey and all the stuff we've talked about through the lens of travel. So that's, I'm excited about that. It's nerve wracking because it's a new type of writing for me and it's very, very personal, <laughs> but it needs, it needs to be written. I, I, I can't not write it. It's telling me I have to write it. So it I'm doing. has to be written. And I have a feeling that with like the work that you did on the flourishing lawyer, like, and being able to integrate all of those dimensions and everything that you've learned about psychology and about yourself, like th this book will be amazing. So I'm really excited for you. Thank you. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> I hope you do. Heidi, thank you so, so much for um, hanging out with me and have wonderful travels. I know you're about to hop on a plane or a train or drive somewhere. So have um, wonderful, safe travels. And I'm so excited to, you know, stalk you a little bit on your, on your journey. Thank you. I'm so excited to know you. I really am thankful that, that we made this connection. I'm excited for us to keep, keep the dialogue going. <laughs> you see, Twitter's not all that bad. Wow. I'm, I'm proud of us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's good for introverts. <laughs> yes, it's perfect for introverts. <laughs> Where can people find you? Okay, so I am on social media. On in, on Instagram, I'm introverted lawyer. On Twitter, I'm introvert lawyer. And I'm on LinkedIn, Heidi Kristen Brown. You can also find me. I have two websites around my book, theintrovertedlawyer.com. And I'm developing my new website right now around the Flourishing Lawyer book. And it's theflourishinglawyer.org. I just want to commend you and thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Legally Bliss Conversations. If you love this episode and you want to hang out with other inspiring and light gold female attorneys, be sure to join the Legally Bliss community at legallyblissed.com. And be sure to follow me on Instagram at Susie Nixon. See you next time.